Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, continues in our series called Christmas Questions. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Have you spotted that star? And how have you responded? We continue our series today, Christmas Questions. And the questions, as you've seen, some of you are learning because you have children, small children in your home. We have a grandchild that talks a lot occasionally, but they ask a lot of Christmas questions, don't they? And they're entertaining and often quite insightful, like this one. How do the toys for all the children in the whole world fit into Santa's one red sack? Now, questions reveal more than answers, I believe, because they expose what the askers are thinking about, what they're interested in. They display what's on their minds what's in their hearts. This morning, I'll deal with two similar questions from two very different sources asked for two very different reasons. We've been looking in Luke, but today we turn to Matthew chapter two. But you could take out your message guide and these first two questions are on top of your outline. The wise men ask, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? King Herod asked a similar but very different question. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Different in attitude, aren't they? Different in purpose. The true meaning of questions, theirs and ours, are determined by what? When you ask a question... What determines its meaning? Your motivation. That was smart. You looked at the outline. Your intention. Yes. Which is why the title to this message is an intentional question. Because you see, my intentions toward Jesus, toward faith, are revealed by a number of things that are found in this story. The first is my intentions toward Jesus are revealed by my resolve to seek him. Matthew chapter 2, on page 772 in the Bible available at Brookwood. At verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. This Herod, also known as Herod the Great, because there were several Herods, ruled Israel in Judah, Israel being the northern part of the country, Judah being the southern part. Herod ruled Israel for about three years, from 37 to 34 BC. Now, Herod was not racially Jewish. He was an Arab from the southern part of Israel, but he was a descendant 
of Esau. And descendants of Esau were referred to, who knows, as Edomites. Yes, you can look in Genesis 25. Herod was Jewish religiously, but only because the Idumeans were conquered by Jews over a century earlier. And so all of those Idumeans were forced to convert to Judaism. But Herod didn't practice the Jewish faith personally at all. You know, we can compare that to people in our country who consider themselves Christians merely because they were born here. But your place of birth doesn't determine your faith. It's a personal experience with Christ always. Herod was despised by Jews who identified him not as one of them, certainly, but as a representative of Rome. He was appointed king of the Jews by the Roman Senate and confirmed as king of that area by Caesar Augustus. Herod had no compassion for the people he ruled over and little interest in them. He treated them ruthlessly. He taxed them mercilessly because he was far more interested in pleasing the Roman emperor by the taxes that he sent than he was meeting the needs of the Jews at all. He also dipped into these funds to build construction projects. He was a great builder, but he had a massive ego. And so there are many, many structures, the ruins of which are still standing today, that were dedicated to Herod, or he would build them and dedicate them to the emperor. But it was all to gain the favor of the Roman elite, and the, in particular, the emperor. Herod did also rebuild the, Rome, the um, temple in Jerusalem. You see, the first temple was built by Solomon, and it was destroyed. So Herod rebuilt the temple in an effort to gain Jewish favor, but it didn't work, and they continued to resent him. So back to Matthew chapter 2. We continue in the latter part of verse 1. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, eastern lands likely refers to the land of the Medes and Persians, which today is, you know what? Iran, yeah. Or Babylon, which today is, now this one's easier, is Iraq, yeah. These wise men who are also called magi, and the Greek word can be translated either, were learned scholars, but they were a blend of scientist and sorcerer, and they practiced both medicine and occult magic. See, the line between the two blurred. So they combined the science of astronomy, the study of the stars, with the superstition of astrology, what the stars meant and how they affected our lives. But in any event, they studied the skies continually, searching for signs that would foretell the future. Now, who thinks they were kings? Chris, were they kings? So why do we think they were kings? Well, that's a good stab at it, but more of us, most of us believe they were kings because of Christmas carols 
and Christmas cards as well. But they did serve as advisors to Babylonian and Persian kings. They provided counsel on a wide range of matters, science, law, mathematics, philosophy, even religion. And they also continued and their practice of interpreting dreams and divining wisdom. So there were important people to kings and in kingdoms. Verse 2. The wise men were asking, this is their question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Does anybody see in this verse that they followed the star? So I wonder why we sing they followed that star. So why would they have come to Jerusalem? If they didn't follow the star there, who were they looking for? King of the Jews. Where's the king found? The governmental center. If we want to find our governor, we go to Columbia. McMaster will be found there. Henry won't be found around here. So how did they know about a star that would announce the birth of a new Messiah? Prophecy, but why would these Persians or Babylonians know Hebrew prophecy? Who? Yeah, likely Daniel. Now again, this is a supposition. But remember, Daniel was a Jewish exile in Babylon about 600 600 years before Jesus' birth. And after interpreting a king's dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he was named chief over the kingdom's wise men, Daniel 2.48. So perhaps it was Daniel who in training and leading these wise men also taught them the Hebrew scriptures and taught them about the true God. And there are scriptures, particularly Numbers 24.17, that predicted the arrival of a new king in Israel and linked it to a star. In any event, God sent these magi astronomers a sign they would not miss. That's the real key here. And this sign beckoned them to come to seek the Savior of Israel. You see, God treats all of us the same way. God sends us a sign. He calls to us in a way that we can't miss. We weren't all called the same way, were we? But we were all called in a way that we understood. How did God call you? Do you remember? Verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. See, these magi represented a great political threat to Herod because they were seeking what? A newborn king of the Jews. And Herod was the king of the Jews. Only room for one on that throne. 
but they may have also represented a potential military threat. Because you see, these magi traveled 800 miles or more, perhaps much more. And they traveled across vast stretches of desert that were dangerous, that were inhabited by bandits and robberies occurred. And so not only were those lands occupied by hostile peoples, but they were also controlled by the Romans. These magi to travel so far needed a large amount of provisions and they needed protection. So it's almost certain that they traveled with a large caravan, perhaps even a small army, but they certainly had armed men with them. And they rode on what? Oh, y'all are smart. Y'all are jumping ahead. Maybe camels, perhaps Arabian horses. And it could be both. So add some horses to your mantelpiece. <laughs> Herod was protective of his power. He was paranoid of anyone who might threaten his position. And he responded to such perceived threats with treachery. Verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Notice the unbelief even in that supposed to be. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, that's from Micah 5.2, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel, that's from 2 Samuel 5.2 as well, and refers to the shepherd king David. There would be another king like David who would be born in Bethlehem. But you don't see anywhere in this text that these Jewish priests, these religious leaders who knew about the birth of the Messiah, who, who at least profess to expect the coming of the Messiah, you don't see that they had any interest in at all in seeking him. And Bethlehem was only about six miles away and none of them went. Verse seven, then Herod continued his plotting and he called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. What was his tone? You think he showed anger to the wise men? So what was his tone in talking with them? He was very sincere, wasn't he? He, he looked like he was interested. He, he was, yes, motivated by anger, and anger is a cover for fear. But his tone would have been sincere. He would have acted honest. He would have displayed interest. 
to join the wise men. Now, he didn't want to go along with them. He wanted them to do the walking. But then he would join them in worship later. And every bit of it was manipulation. Herod had no interest in trying to find the newborn king. He did, so he certainly didn't seek him and he didn't intend to worship him. And if you look closely, what he was interested in from these wise men was what? Specifically, what did he ask them? Mm -mm, not the direction. When did the star appear? When did the star appear? Because he wanted to discern the age of the threat to his throne so that he could identify and eliminate the potential rival. In our culture, people seek information about Jesus for different reasons. Some seek information so they can believe. Others, with a bias against faith, study only to discover reasons to confirm their disbelief and their rejection of him. Through the years, I've talked to a lot of different people, and they're asking questions about Jesus, but I always ask them, what, the, what are you reading? Because what they read, who they're asking, will reveal where they're already headed and what their bias is. The wise men sought the Messiah. They expended a great deal of time and much money to locate the Savior. The king only wanted to know about him to end a perceived threat to his throne. So what about us? Are we wise enough to seek Jesus so that we can believe in him? Or if you're already a believer, so that you can know him in a more intimate way. How much effort are you putting into seeking the Savior? If you say nothing, what is your faith worth? My intentions toward Jesus are revealed by my response to him. Verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. As I told you, six miles away. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Was that a star? Why not? How does a star settle over one house? You say, well, you know, travelers followed the star. Well, yeah, they, they followed the, the dipper, big dipper to the north. They knew that so they would know general direction. Stars don't take you to particular towns. And they certainly don't settle on top of certain houses. So what was this? 
Well, first off, you have to understand that the light that the Magi referred to as a star, it, it did reappear. First, it just brought them to, in the general direction. It really just alarmed them that the, the um, Messiah had been born and they started toward Jerusalem. But now the light reappears and it guides them to this small little village and then to the place where Jesus' family now lived. The Greek word for star is aster. And it was actually could be translated and used to represent any great brilliance or radiance. So perhaps, again, this is just my suggestion, do what you want with it. Perhaps this was actually the brightness of God's glory, which is called what? Shekinah. Which the Shekinah is seen, it was seen over the tabernacle, seen in the temple. And perhaps this brightness that they called a star or really called it a, a Greek word aster, Perhaps this was even the same glow, the same brilliance, the same brightness that surrounded the shepherds in the field outside of Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, 9. But the point for us is that the wise men received the assistance they needed to reach the Messiah. And so do we. If you are interested in seeking the Messiah, God will provide you the resources necessary. They may take different forms and they certainly will take different forms because we're different and God will reach each of us in a way that's personal to each of us, understandable to each of us. For some, it'll be a good friend that truly knows God. It could be a church like this one that opens its arms to people who have spent years in the church and spent no time in the church and embraces both. Could be books. There are many books written, apologetics types books. But it even could be some unusual circumstance where God speaks or perhaps provides a healing or some form of protection. But God will send what you need to bring you straight to him. Are you looking for it? Verse 11. They entered the house. What happened to the stable? Jesus probably was not in a stable anyway. The Greek word is kataluma, which, which typically referred to a guest room. But because animals were also inside the house, though it may be an area that's dug down lower or possibly dug into a hillside. So when Mary and Joseph arrived, the kataluma was already full because guests, you know, relatives were already showing up because of the festival. That was, that was then happening. Everyone had to report for 
not the festival, but for the census to be counted. And so all these people were pouring into town and there was no room for them to sleep. So they may have been sleeping down where the animals were living and they would have used a manger, which was just a dugout trough to put the baby in. But here they're in a house. So some time has passed and they've relocated. And when these wise men came in, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many wise men were there? I heard a young voice say three. Too many Christmas cards. We don't know how many wise men. We know there were three gifts. There could have been two wise men. There could have been 20 wise men. We have no idea. We just know there are three gifts. By the time the wise men arrived, Jesus' family had relocated. So some period of time has passed. But the, the striking thing here is that these were men who were very prominent, who were very educated, who were important, who gave advice to kings. And here they've entered a house. It would have been a small, tiny house, possibly even a cave dug under the ground, which many, many people at this time in Israel lived in caves because the limestone could be chipped away. Or maybe some small house above ground and part of it below ground. But, but very meager. Nothing palatial. Nothing that would cause anyone to think that this child had any prominence or importance at all. Nothing about this child or his parents or the house they were in would indicate that he could be a king of the Jews. And yet these wise men who were used to the, being in the company of kings bowed down to him. This child would have been below their class. His parents would have been below their education level, their financial level, their esteem level. And yet they in their finery bowed to a child who was probably dressed in strips of cloth still. And they presented him very expensive gifts that were appropriate for a king. How could they know? How would they know? Somebody said Holy Spirit. Yeah, revelation. Just like we saw, we talked last week about inspiration, something that is God-breathed, the inspiration of God, as well as the star that settled over the house, which may have been the glory of God, revealed the true identity of this baby, even though nothing about his appearance would cause you to think he was a king or related to God at all. But they responded with worship. They humbled themselves. They bestowed very fine gifts. King Herod didn't come. Wouldn't have worshipped. 
and offered this baby nothing but death. Do you recognize the identity of Jesus? All of us need to determine that. Do you recognize the identity of Jesus? Not as a, not as a baby born to poor parents in a charming Christmas story, but rather as the Son of God, the divine King of kings, the Lord of lords, who came to earth to save us from our sins. Because see, if you know Jesus in that way, if he is your, so, your savior, if he is your Lord, you will worship. And an expression of your worship will be surrendering your entire life to him. Is worship evident in your life? And what does it look like? Because the way we worship actually reveals our concept of Jesus. My intentions toward Jesus are revealed thirdly by my reaction to God's direction. Verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I think that's pretty astounding too. Here are these men. They've been around kings. They understood the power of kings, the wrath of kings, the judgment of kings, the punishment of kings. They knew firsthand never to cross a king. And yet here they are, they, they receive a message in a dream from God and they obey. Even at great and grave risk to their lives. Now at verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. I think this outwitted could also be translated disrespected him. And so imagine the fury these men did not do what I told them to do. And so he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. So that indicates uh, to us that the star may have appeared up to two years before. Now you say, well, maybe it was only one year and he, just to be sure, he eliminated this rival, added another year. But it wasn't months before and may have been two years. Enraged by the Magi's defiant refusal to facilitate his plan to assassinate Jesus, Herod reacted with violent fury. He sent soldiers to slay all of Bethlehem's innocent infant boys. Now you think this is shocking. It wasn't shocking for Herod. 
Herod was so jealous of his power, so angry, which as I said, anger is a a, a protection for fear, fear of disrespect, fear of removal, fear of losing his position, fear of losing his power. And he had murdered numerous people that he regarded as rivals, including three of his own sons, one mere days before his death. He murdered his favorite wife of his 10, two of her brothers and her mother. This was an insanely angry man. And then we continue. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Jeremiah 31, 15. Now you may think, what is the impact of this cruelty? Well, this was a very small village, a few hundred population. So the number of infant boys, two years old and younger, was likely somewhere between 10 and 30 boys. But in a village that small, even that number of boys, every family would have been touched and the entire village would have been in mourning. These wise men obeyed. The king rebelled. What do you do when confronted with God's direction? Some of us right now, some of you in this room, have God speaking to you. He's shown you something from the word. He said something through another person. And it means you go in a different direction. How will you respond to God's direction? Because again, what you do, where you walk, how you step, reveals what you believe, your intention about Jesus. The wise men's Christmas question was asked to find the newborn king so they could worship him. Herod's Christmas question was intended to enable him to execute a threat to his throne. What questions are you asking? Are you asking questions about Jesus that are intended to bring him closer? Are questions that are intended to keep him away? Which one are you asking? Counselors will be here at the front. They'll be happy to discuss faith with you or whatever may be on your mind. If you're troubled by something, they'd be happy to pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. If you want to speak to someone in private, the Care Connection Room is across the concourse and all of these counselors will remain here as long as you need for them to be. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you not only sent your son, but you've shown us individually, personally, each of us in particular, how to find him and how to be found by him. 
Lord, I pray that you would provoke us to seek the Savior, that we might trust in him and come to faith this Christmas, or that we might pursue him so that we can grow closer, more intimate with your son. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get into contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.